All right, if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Colossians. And that is how we expect to start the sermon time for the next 14 weeks, taking us right up to the week before Christmas. And I'm very excited to uh, start this series today. I was telling somebody this morning, uh, today is going to be, this is going to be the best sermon in the entire series. I don't want you to be disappointed and feel like you don't need to come back. Uh, The reason that today is going to be the best sermon in the entire series is that a significant chunk of today's sermon is going to be a reading of the book of Colossians. And so we're going to hear it the way that it would have originally been heard. Of course, in English, that'll be better for all of us. But we're going to experience it like a church would experience it, where they would receive it and it would be read aloud in the assembly and then considered together. And before I get going into all of that, uh, since we'll read the whole thing later, we won't have a scripture reading right this minute, which reminds me, if you have been a scripture reader with us in the past, and if you're interested, if you haven't been, and if you're interested in being a scripture reader, I can't do this today. I'm too excited. What we're going to start doing every week is the text will be read by someone, not me, before the sermon. And we've done that before. I'm looking around and seeing several of you who have been readers before, and I hope that you'll all want to be readers again. But we could also use new readers of Scripture. So I know it's a little scary to come up here, but you don't have to use any of your own words. You can just read the words uh, from the text. Usually it'll be five verses, seven verses, nine verses, something like that. Um, but that's something we've done for a while. It hasn't really made sense with the like whole book sermons this summer and the one, ver- one word sermons and the fruit of the spirit uh, this spring. So it hasn't made sense for a while for us, but it makes sense again for us in this series and we're really excited to start that back up. So if you are interested in that, I think there may actually still be a drop down on the serve page of our website. You can sign up there and it can feel fancy and official, uh, but you can also talk to me and that'll be just as effective. So Look forward to incorporating several of you as scripture readers this fall as we work through the book of Colossians together. Uh, But let's pray and ask for God's help now as we look at his word today. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that in different times and in different ways and through different human instruments, you have spoken to us by your spirit and that ultimately you have spoken to us by your son. That when we see him, we see you. And so we ask that you would help us to see him today. In his word, in your word. God, would you meet with us? Would you care for us? Would you correct us? Would you point us to our only hope in Christ? God, would you, yeah, would you help? Spirit, come and work among us now. Do what you would have done with your word for your glory, for our good, and for the joy of all peoples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we're talking about a book of the Bible and when we're introducing today a book of the Bible, in this case, Colossians, kind of the first thing we want to stop and think about is that it's a letter. And what do you do with a letter, right? The Bible has different types of literature. We've just been in prophecy 
and uh, some of those were pretty intense. There are ways that this will be intense too, but a little differently. And this is a letter. It's written by somebody to some somebodies. Have any of you written a letter? I know letters are like, you know, we write emails or texts or whatever. Some of you have written a letter, right? Even the young people. So young people who've written a letter, has it been like an assignment for school? Yes. I see that hand. I feel that, right? Now, letters that are an assignment for school aren't usually very interesting letters, right? You have to write something to someone somewhere, and you get some credit for your school. And those aren't very important, right? It's like, okay, I made it. I got my grade. I guess the grade was important, right? But the letter probably itself was not very important. So sometimes we write letters for as simple a reason as a school assignment, but there's other letters that are much more important than that. In the case of this letter, it's much, much more important than a letter for school or even a letter to a friend. This letter has become part of God's word, that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul as he was writing to this church in Colossae to write words that wouldn't be directly to us. You know, it doesn't say to Grace City Church in Northeast Philadelphia, but there are words that are for us and that are still meaningful for us and tell us true things about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and what he is doing now and how he works in the world today and how he would have us live for him. So it's not to us, but it is still about us. And that overall message of Colossians is what we're using as our title for this whole series. Christ is all. And as we work through um, the, the kind of the introduction today to the letter, I think you'll see why those three words capture as well as any three words can what is going on in Colossians. And so let's consider first the author, recipients, and occasion. This is the part that's like kind of not super exciting and at the same time also really informative and helps us understand what we're reading a little better. Because remember, this isn't just like God wrote a love letter to us and it came out Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, okay? It was originally a letter from someone to a church. And so who's the author? We see that in the very first word. So if you have your Bible open to Colossians, you can look at Colossians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul's the author. We learned a lot about him in our Acts series. He's one who was going his own way, living within Judaism as he understand it, zealous for God, but stumbling over the stumbling stone, which is Christ, thinking it was the way he would obey God to kill Christians, right? And we saw him participating in that. And then one day he met Christ as he was on the way (laughs) to persecute Christians. The Lord himself stops him in his tracks on the way to Damascus and turns his whole life around. And Paul realizes it was not being zealous for the works of the law. It is Christ, that Christ is Lord, Christ is life. And those will be major themes of this letter to the Colossians. Those became major themes of Paul's whole life and ministry. And he would go around as the apostle to the Gentiles. He would go around to all these Gentile cities 
in what's today modern Turkey and in Greece, and eventually he got all the way to Rome, and when he would get to a city, unless he was in chains, and so then he'd go straight to prison, um, if he was in control of where he went next, he would go and he would start in the synagogue, and he would try to convince Jews, just like he had at the beginning been unconvinced, that this Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all that God had said It's him. He's the one. We have to have him. We have to trust in him. In most of those synagogues, he was rejected. Some of them persecuted. Uh, One or two of them basically killed. Uh, And then keeps on going with his ministry. And in certain situations, like in Acts 13, he's like, okay, fine. We're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And even in that moment, God was saving Gentiles, non-Jews, through the proclamation of the gospel. So Paul is the author of this letter, and it says Paul and Timothy are brother. And so this is kind of a Paul plus Timothy. Um, Paul says I throughout the whole thing, and then signs it I at the end. So many scholars think Timothy basically is his writer. So Paul had issues, we see it in his very last the last words of this one. He says in Colossians 4.18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Like, why would that be a big deal? Because the rest of the letter most likely was not in his own hand. So Paul would actually, it's kind of his signature at the end. Kind of like when, you, when we print a letter, right? I might, we might send a letter for somebody. We sent a letter for you the other day, last week, a couple weeks ago, right? Hey, this is someone who, to get whatever job or whatever role, they're a member in good standing at our church, right? I didn't write all that out. We typed that out. In fact, we just like, we have a copy of my signature and just put it on there. So I didn't even sign it. So that's not a good example. Um, (laughs) Right, but even where you print something, it's like, okay, now we have to sign. And so we sign. That's what these last words of the book of Colossians are. It's Paul's signature, um, there's another one that ends, like, you see with what large letters I'm writing to you. But this one just says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So probably they were reading Timothy's handwriting, and Paul is dictating to Timothy, and he's writing down what Paul is telling him to write to these Colossian believers. And the letter is delivered by a couple guys. We see them in Colossians 4, 7 to 9. That's Tychicus and Onesimus. If Onesimus sounds familiar to you, kids especially, if that sounds familiar to you, you're like, I think I know that one. And you're like, I can't quite place it. Then check the book of Philemon a little further on. Uh, That's a very short letter that you can read in a very short amount of time to um, a man who had been Onesimus's owner earlier in his life. And Onesimus had run away, had heard the gospel while he was in Rome from Paul and had become, in many ways, a son to him in the faith. And along with this letter to Colossians, Onesimus is being sent back to the place where he had lived before. So there'll be a reference. Onesimus, who's one of you, he's from there. He became a Christian in Rome and then now is part of the group delivering the letter to the Colossians. So Paul's the author and then the recipients, and we've given it away a bunch of times because it's hard to talk about a letter one, one way, but the recipients are the church in Colossae. One of the things that's interesting about this and helps us as we think about 
these letters are not to us, right? It doesn't have our name on it, but they're for us, is that this letter, while it's written to the church in Colossae, and it says that very clearly in verse 2, to the saints, in verse 2 of chapter 1, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This letter immediately was meant to be read not only in the church at Colossae. Look back again at chapter 4, right near the end. Verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter, it's like the one we're reading today, has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And again, for the kids who like you're learning the Bible and you're studying it and learning stories from the Bible and you hear Laodicea and you're like, I think I know that one. That's in Revelation, right? The seven churches that receive letters there. Laodicea, they get kind of a rough one, right? That's the you're lukewarm. I'm, and I promised I wasn't going to talk, promised myself I wasn't going to talk too much about that for today. Um, but there are three cities actually mentioned here. There's Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And these cities are all very close to each other. Paul didn't go to any of them, but he wrote a letter apparently to Laodicea as well. That letter did not survive. That letter did not become part of the scriptures that we have today, but this letter to the Colossians did. And so you have these three cities not too far from each other. They know about each other. They know that the gospel has come there. They're brothers and sisters just in different towns. And Paul intends for this letter to be kind of a circular letter. It's like, make sure you get it to that other town close to you, too, because what's in here will be beneficial to them. And so that's kind of our first hint, other than that it's in our Bible, and so you already have a pretty big hint, that this letter, this would have been their first hint, that this letter is for something more than just for them. It's also for us, because it was meant to be read in Laodicea. But what about Colossae? Uh, Colossae was what was in what is now Turkey, that was Asia Minor, and interestingly, Colossae was destroyed by an earthquake just a few years after Paul wrote this letter, and it is still an unexcavated mound. So if any of you are thinking of becoming archaeologists, uh, there's a place where you could do some work. I'm not sure how you'd get funding for it. You'd have to figure that out on your own, but you could go over to Turkey and it's still just a big hill now. Uh, and you could dig in there and find stuff that's like 2,000 years old. And it happened just a few years after they would have received this letter. Colossae, a couple hundred years before Christ, was an important city because you passed through. It makes me think of cars a little bit, right? They put in the interstate and then now their town that used to be so vibrant and used to be alive is sad. And they sing that super sad song about their town and how, and, and you're watching the cars go by on the interstate, right? Back then, you had to move the road a little further than that. It didn't work quite like that. But the road changed and it went through another city and all of a sudden Colossae was not as important as it had been before. But earlier, it had been kind of the crossroads between the eastern part of the country and the western part 
of the country. But then the main road was removed, and Colossae's importance waned, but it had been important for so long that it was still a diverse cultural center. So it wasn't all, like sometimes when we think of one town, it's like, okay, it was founded by a couple families, and then it's just those families over generations, and it gets bigger. But Colossae was not that type of city. It was pretty diverse with people from different ethnic, cultural, and religious backgrounds. And scholars will point out that this diversity probably accounts for some of the confusion and the mixing of the gospel with other religious practices in the Colossian church that we see as we go through the book of Colossians. So those were the first recipients. But how did this church get there? Because Paul never went there. And so that gets us to the occasion for the letter. Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He mentions that he's a prisoner in Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, I'm in prison right now. And Paul's never been to this church. He makes reference to God taking care of all the people that he's never met. He's only heard about them, as we'll see in the first verses. So Epaphras, who was from Colossae, had founded the church and now is part of Paul's ministry team. Uh, in Philemon, he even calls Epaphras a fellow prisoner with him. And so the, the story is, and we'll see some of it in the text as we read, that Epaphras, most likely, this is the part scholars have to speculate about, he probably heard the gospel from Paul during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. Heard the gospel, became a Christian, says, I want to take the gospel back to my hometown. And he goes back to Colossae, and he takes the gospel there and preaches the gospel. People believe a church is founded. And he took it back to the surrounding cities as well. And we get that especially from verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4. He says, For I bear him witness, in verse 13, that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So Epaphras took the gospel to, the, to his city, to the cities around him, and now he's traveling. Of course, they stopped traveling when they were in Rome, but he's with Paul as part of his ministry team. And probably what has happened is Epaphras either has heard about or has observed what's going wrong in Colossae. This letter, there's always a reason for a letter, not just that it's an assignment in school. Usually you have kind of one thing you're trying to do, and you might say other things along the way, which Paul will do, but it's kind of about one thing. There's a problem that needs to be solved, and so it's possible that Epaphras came to Rome to let Paul know what was going on. Say, here's what's happening in our city. They're being tempted to shift from the hope of the gospel, and Paul writes Colossians in response. So that's the author, the recipients, the occasion. There's some problem, and Paul is writing in response to that problem. So what is the problem? What is the Colossian problem? Somebody, or probably more than one somebody, were trying to convince, and apparently they were fairly convincing, they were trying to convince the Colossians that they needed to have certain spiritual practices in addition to Christ. We see that most directly in chapter 2. When we read through chapter 2, be on the lookout for these things that are in addition to Christ. Philosophy, wisdom, mystery. Those kinds of words will be prominent mainly in chapter 2. 
And what this guy prescribed apparently seemed pretty good and maybe even super spiritual. And there was at least some danger of people falling for it. But here's the thing, because we go, oh, well, we would never do that, right? We would never worry about wisdom and knowledge that's outside of Christ. We would never be deluded by plausible arguments because we know how to find them and we know the gospel and we know the Bible. But don't we still do this kind of stuff today? I think that's one of the reasons that Colossians is so relevant even now because we find moments where we still want more than Jesus, right? I know I'm in him. I know I have life with him forever, but there has to be something more. There has to be something better. And it's funny how we go different ways. Sometimes it's, there has to be something easier. It's too hard to follow Jesus. I need something easier for me. Sometimes it's we want something harder, and that's more what's going on in Colossians. I want to show that I can work hard, that I can be better, that I can be different. I want the secret knowledge, and I'm willing to go after it. I'm going to get it. I'm willing to hurt myself to earn something. Both of those ways are, are fatal to true Christianity, if you say, following Jesus is too hard, I'll just do it my own way. Our own way is not his way. Following Jesus is too easy. It's too simple. It's what? It's his work? It's all him and not me? Surely I have to do something. I have to be different from these other people. There has to be something about me that makes it so that I can stand before God. But when we try to have it be something in us, we're also falling off the track. And we won't make it but we still want more than Jesus. We want something we can do to get ourselves in good with God. Another angle on this that he'll go after is that things of this earth can feel more real than Christ. He's gonna tell us if we've been raised with Christ to set our eyes, our affections, our hope, our vision on him, on things above where Christ is. He is our life. But when we can't see him and we can't touch him, and we can't hear his voice out loud. He doesn't walk up to the pulpit on Sunday and talk to us when we don't have that experience. But then there's other people who are right here. And there are things we can get. And there are things we can do. Things of this earth start to feel more real than Christ. For the Colossians, they were, they were being tempted to believe there was a secret. There was something better, something deeper something wiser. And sometimes we can get that way too. We're glad we're saved, but there must be some other secret to really living the Christian life well. There's some technique that I just don't know about yet that if I can implement that in my daily routine, I will finally get over that sin that I can't get past. I will stop doing that thing I can't stop doing. I will start doing the things I know I should do and feel guilty about all the time. There's some technique or we want wisdom, some kind of mystery. But Paul will say that these things that seem so wise and deep, this secret to how it all really works, those things are what move us away from Christ alone. And they do nothing to help us in our fight against our flesh. So why do we need Colossians? Because we quickly forget in the stuff of life who Christ is what he has done for us, and who we are in him. So Paul didn't write this letter to us exactly, but in God's kind providence, this letter, as part of God's word preserved for us in the Bible, is for us. 
the solution for the Colossians is what we need to. So that was the Colossian problem. We'll talk a few minutes about the gospel solution and then read the text. What is Paul's prescription for this Colossian problem? His prescription is Christ. He will tell them not to shift from the hope of the gospel to something else. Something else than Christ is always something less than Christ. Something else than Christ is always something less than Christ because Christ is all. Christ is over all. He's the image of the invisible God, we'll read. All the fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ. He is the wisdom and power of God. Where you think, oh, we need this. There's no secret or mysterious wisdom. The mystery is Christ. We'll see Paul say that directly in chapter 2. By his grace, through his triumph on the cross, we are forgiven. We, and this is what's mysterious, we are in him. And he is in us, the hope of of glory. That's who he is. And in him, we have everything we need. We are filled in him. Christ is enough. There's nothing you can do to get closer to God apart from Christ. Because when you got Christ, you got it all. Trying to add to Christ subtracts from Christ. In Christ, our God, King, and Savior, we have all we need. All we need for forgiveness of sins, all we need for reconciliation with God, all we need for life, both now and forever. So, that means we don't get caught up in man-made religion or empty philosophy that moves the focus of our hope away from Christ. And it makes all the difference in how we live in this world, relating to other people based on who we are in Christ, by the power of Christ in us. Because we have died with Christ, and we have been raised with Christ. He is our life, both now and forever. That's what's going on in Colossians. Those are kind of the things to think about and to look for as we read it now together. And I'm so excited to read it in these moments together and then to unpack it over these next weeks together. May the Lord bless us as we look into his word and sit underneath it. So Lord, guide us even now in the reading of this letter, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. The letter of Paul to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That's the word of the Lord. That's what we look forward to working through together over these next months. Christ is all. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the opportunity to gather like this on Sundays and dig into it together. Thank you for a moment like this to have it just read for us, just like it would have been for those first recipients who would have gotten it in their church and said, let's read it out loud. Would you help us over these couple months together uh, to read Colossians, not just rely on what we'll hear in sermons on Sundays, that we'll read it and meditate on it, that we'll take it all in at once, and then we'll take little bites of it and think deeply on it too. God, would you have your way with us through this letter this fall? 
that we would see Christ high and lifted up. That we would see any rivals to him in our lives and be ready to remove them. Would you help us to see the forgiveness and reconciliation that we have with you through Christ? Would you help us as we've received him and him alone for our salvation, that we would walk in him? And that having died with him and been raised with him, by your grace, we would be the people that you have called us to be while we wait for Christ to come again. Oh, we look forward to that day when he will appear and we will be with him in glory. Would you help us? Would you care for us? Would you guide us? In Jesus' name, amen.